Is it fast? Oh, it's fast. What about the options? What about the options? It's got all the options. But like, what about price? It's got to be expensive. Not expensive at all, man. JR's got the greatest deals on cigars and accessories. Check it out. Oh, wow. Look at these. Oh, look at that deal. It's a good price. What are you guys doing with my car? Your car? I thought this was your car. I thought it was your car. Why would it be my car? I don't know. It's not again. We'll get out, but I'm taking this with us. JR on the go. No matter whose car you're in, JR Cigar is there for you. Get ready for Smoke Night Live with Master Sensei. Boom! Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, episode 211 of Smoke Night Live. This is a, this is an interesting episode we have for you guys tonight for a lot all sorts of reasons. First of all, our guest that we will bring on shortly is Scott Pierce, the executive director of the Premium Cigar Association, formerly known as the IPCPR that you guys all know, the big trade show that happens every summer. It was a tumultuous summer with all kinds of crazy news and stuff breaking. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into that with with Scott on the air. But also, uh, Jordan, my producer, is actually at the Social Distortion concert locally here in town. So I have a I have a fill in producer. Dominic is in the audience over there. Dominic, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's one of those crazy nights. Hey, and not only that, guys, big day today, big announcement, because the announcement is the return of the Noodles. Woo! Our Room 101 collaboration with Matt Booth, Noodles, will be uh, re-released a week from today. A week from today. Now, if you notice, take a look, close look at this packaging. You'll notice there's something missing. This, the thing that's missing off of this package is normally Matt Booth's head would be in that bowl of noodles. And even on the cigar itself, here's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire one up and smoke it on the show. Um, on the cigar, even. Where did Matt Booth go? Where did his head go? Well, in typical Matt Booth style, his head is gone. But now, when you order a bundle, you will get this challenge coin that oh, has the original pretty. logo on it. Look at that. Look at that beautiful thing. Oh, His head so is, it's, it's Matt's head is back in, in all of its full glory in the challenge coin. On the front and on the back, you get a uh, polished silver dojo logo on the back. The dojo seal of approval right there. So every bundle, so I was asked earlier on Facebook, hey, if I order three bundles, I just get one coin? No. If you order three bundles, you get three coins. There's a coin for every bundle. Now, remember, when we release these, so there, the, um, the MSRP is $111 for a bundle, and then the JR price is $99 for a bundle, but then there will be a coupon code that we will release uh, next Friday, make sure that you get that email. Make sure you're signed up for our email list on our website. 
uh, if you go to the um, if you go to the uh, press release for this cigar, which is the main thing in our featured articles, uh, at the bottom there's a way to sign up for the the email list, and most of you are already on it. But make sure you're on it, because when we send out the email, there will be a coupon code for an additional 10% off. So you'll get this cigar for uh, essentially $89 instead of $99 instead of $111. So that's pretty stinking good, huh, Scott? Heck yes. Heck yes. Somebody's going to be blinging out with some <laughs> of these dojo crowd. So I'm going to fire this bad boy up right now as we speak. Um, now, I'm going to be looking off to my right tonight. I apologize for that because normally I'd have my computer right in front of me and I could see all the, my notes that I take. But since Jordan's gone, I have to have it over here because I have to be running the show uh, in front of me. So I'm going to be seriously multitasking tonight. So if I say anything really stupid, please forgive me. Hey, say anything more stupid than I normally say, Scott. Well, that's because it's Matt Booth, you know, and he just, he marches to the beat of his own drummer, Scott, you know? <laughs> I mean, Matt does stuff that, um, you know, who knows? Why he does it? We don't know. By the way, Matt will be on the show next Friday night talking about all this, and I'll ask him, like, why, why was your face not on 500 of the bundles? Who knows? That's Matt Booth for you. But um, also, tonight on the show, at the very end of the show, I will be announcing the winner of yesterday's happy hour contest. So thanks for all the people that entered. And that's a, uh, a random pick. So I took all the entries. This is what I do, Scott, on a daily basis, Scott Brayband. I sit there, and I Scott's drinking some good bourbon. What are you drinking, Scott? Uh, I am drinking a little bit of Buffalo Trace. Drinking some Buff Trace. I sit. So we will be picking the uh, winner of Happy Hour at the end of the show tonight, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But now it is time to bring on our guest, Scott Pierce, the Executive Director of the Premium Cigar Association. Scott, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Scott, you are a brave man, a brave man for, you know, popping in on this show. Um, you know, you're going to answer all the hard questions.
Oh, how's this? Can you guys hear Gary, that? Uh, am I coming through now? Okay. So, see, this is what this is what happens when there's no producer in the audience or in the. Uh, uh, I think people can hear now. That's my okay, fault. So, so they just missed out on all that profound yes. wisdom that I hit them with. You, I'm about to remember what I just said. You had just <laughs> explained the entire thing and how everything. Yeah, it all makes is, sense. It all yeah. makes sense. So. Um, yeah, the cosmic Rubik's cube of the universe actually all makes sense now, and now I've got to remember what I just said. <laughs> no, so I apologize for that. I'm doing my uh, best no to uh, to produce and talk at the same time. I, what I was saying was, you brought the media down into a smaller room during the show yep. and you answered some of the hard questions and I thought that at, at that time that you did a really good job answering those questions that's why I wanted to have you on tonight is to answer the tough questions about what's going on with the show and the IPCPR and the PCA and all that so I appreciate yeah, you being absolutely. on on this Friday night oh, thank you very much for having me uh, and uh, anytime yeah all right so let's get let's get right let's just just dive right into this whole thing all right. All right. Let's do it. All right. So I'm going to make sure that you're unmuted on all these other uh, screenshots. See, just, that's muted. All right. That's good. All right. So good. We should be good now. All right. So, Scott, it's been a tumultuous summer for you, I'm sure. A crazy summer. Let's, let's sort of go through some of these things. You had, A, the name change. We went from the IPCPR to the PCA, and you announced... The Consumer Day, which was called CigarCon, or is called CigarCon, and you got reactions probably from all sides of the spectrum on this announcement. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was one of those things to where, you know, there's a lot that kind of surrounds all of this. None of this really kind of happened in a vacuum. None of it happened slowly. Yeah, and... Um, so we'll kind of start with the, the name change. Uh, I said at the trade show this year, it really began when they were interviewing me. And it came up and I said, uh, you know, kind of ask a question about the name. And they said, sure, what do you, what's your question? I said, I'm just very curious as a tobacco lobbying organization why the three letters CPR are in your name. Mm. And so it, it, it kind of started from there. But as I started out, you know, I kind of hit the ground running. We're up on Capitol Hill, have a lot of visits and doing things like that. Started becoming clear that you know IPCPR, International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailers Association, you have to spend several minutes to try to explain that. And we kind of started to take a look at a, a number of different things about where we are as an organization, as and as an industry, and where exactly is it that we want to go. And there's one story that, and this is indicative of a lot of, of variations on this same theme. But uh, I went to go meet, and so when when the Tobacco Control Act happened, a lot it used to be like the agropropes, uh, legislative assistants and directors that we would meet with, and who were used to working on tobacco issues. And now a lot of them, maybe 50% or so, are health legislative assistants or that work on health issues. So one particular meeting we were having with a congressman, it was his LA uh, who oversaw health issues. Didn't know anything about us or our issue. Had never worked on tobacco before. We were on her schedule as IPCPR, and she legitimately thought that it was going to be some kind of EMT or something like that. <laughs> so we walk in. So not only does it have nothing, anything to do with anything she knows about, it's tobacco, and she just – it was the most awkward and kind of unproductive meeting. I didn't really have a chance to talk too much. I basically just said, hey, here's our, our one-pager leap behind. 
And then I just tried to get to know her just to break the ice, and that was about it. I spent about 15 minutes, uh, and then uh, I left with our consultant. And I, you know, I said, yeah, we might want to kind of accelerate the, the research on this to see if this is something we need to pull the trigger on. So we enlisted an agency, and we went through several months' worth of interviews with a bunch of different members, associate members, sales reps, um, people on Capitol Hill, consumers, past board members, even David Berkebile, who was the president of the association when it changed from RTDA to IPCPR, and kind of uh, whittled down to where we said, you know, this makes the most sense for us uh, in terms of where we're at. And uh, I think at the trade show, I did the, this kind of Venn diagram thing where I said, look, if this was just a, if this was a rebrand, where we're really trying to come up with uh, something that really made sense for our retailers as well as manufacturers, there's there's a lot that I kind of you can go in in that overlap of that Venn diagram. But there's really a really teeny tiny bullseye where we overlap with people that don't know anything about tobacco, don't know anything about the industry, and we really need to hit that bullseye of what our name is and what we stand for in as direct and as clean and as concise a way as possible. Now, so uh, now, we, Scott, I I I I'm just trying to imagine the person that actually thought like CPR was like, you know part of you know it was part of the organization to me that just seems insane i'm not saying right. it i'm obviously i'm not questioning that it didn't happen but it just seems insane to me that somebody would you know misconstrue it in such a fashion yeah yeah it was it was it, it was it, for me i i didn't i mean i i i brought that up in the interview right and, and just because for me it was pretty you know glaring saying wow because i that's the way i would remember the name um because it's a mouthful and so after walking into that meeting and, and just that look on her face, was she was just so despondent. And, you know, going to meeting after meeting, which we, so we have this thing where it's a cigar series. And it started with Guy Resch and Taylor, who was a freshman congressman out of Pennsylvania. And he loves cigars. He's a big, you know, ally of ours and, and a big advocate for us. But we would go and we have these meetings with like Marathon. They host him and we go and we donate cigars when we get to have some good access for the, um, the members of Congress or senators that oftentimes show up. And as we're meeting people, I just found myself after the third one of these meetings just saying, oh, I represent premium, the premium cigar industry. And okay. they would ask questions. Right. And so that, that's ultimately kind of what it came down to. Rather than trying to I say the acronym and explain it, I, just, I represent the premium cigar industry. Right. And they would say, oh, so you're the guy that brought the cigars. Yes, I am. So, so how, was, how long ago, time-wise, chronologically, did you guys figure out, okay, we're seriously going to change the name? When did that occur? It was pretty much finalized. Well, I shouldn't say finalized, but I think that the decision was a go at our mid-year meeting when our advisory board came into town of all of our manufacturers, and we had a big meeting. So that was the first week of February, and um, you know the logo hadn't been finalized. There were still we wanted to get a lot of input in terms of that. I mean, it's uh, I'm sure that some of you in, in listening understand kind of what it is to to do something like that by committee, and so it was very much. A labor of love at that point and trying to get people's input. But a lot of people were excited about it and had input and had a lot of ideas for different things. And so, um, but everybody at the time when we said, look, we, our research all says that we're going to go with the Premium Cigar Association because it makes the most sense. Everybody in the room said, yeah, that's that's the direction we need to go. And everybody was on board. Everybody agreed that that was where we wanted to go with it. So the the name goes from, I'm going to put these up on the screen uh, so so folks can see it. Uh, here we go. That's the IPCPR, the International Premium Cigar Pipe Retailers Association. And that uh, now changes to, boom, the PCA, the Premium Cigar Association. So that's the name. I do like, I do like the new uh, branding, personally. I'm a fan of the new branding. 
Thank uh, you. It just it's easier to understand. Easier, it's quicker. It makes more sense to me now. Did you get any? You know, was there any blowback at all from some of the other uh, parts of the industry that are not included? The pipes specifically. Um? Yeah, you know there there have been some, um, mostly some uh, pipe smokers in some instances that are asking if we advocate on behalf of them still and. And, you know, relatively soon after this happened, we helped in Arizona. It was our work that helped with the Cavendish and helped get that tax back where it was so that they, they weren't having to pay um, increased taxes on, on Cavendish pipe tobacco. And so um, so we are still very active in that, in, in defending pipes and in, in, in representing pipes. And obviously it's a part of, of the entire community of, of that. You know, when we the, we when we looked at the word like a, like a tobacconist association, Again, we kind of came back to, again, the tobacco name, as we we'll, may touch upon when it comes to vaping and how people see tobacco and the reaction to tobacco. Um, it, it was just too large of a hurdle for us and a name to then try to go back and explicate our way out of that name again and fall back right into the same trap. And, you know, um, so uh, there was some, but, you know, I, I was on pretty quick after that I was down in Richmond at Sutliff. Um, I took my staff down there. So that everybody, we get a tour of the Sutliff um, factory and see, get a good understanding about how pipe tobacco was made. And Jeremy was such a gracious host and went down there and we had a great time. And he understood. And I said, look, you know, still be part of it. We still have plans for, for things. And I talked to him about the magazine and said, look, you know, what we've seen here, there's, there's a lot of great things we can do. and want to continue to have features every 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 issue and, and continue to, to do that work. I think I'm actually heading down there next month, too, to do a, a pipe event down there with him as well. So. All right. So uh – Scott, I want to ask you, um, like, going into that morning, the morning of the big announcement at the show, all right? Yeah. Um, prior to the announcement, what, how, what was your thought process? How did you imagine in your mind, in your mind's eye, how this was going to be received to the masses, sitting there all staring at you, you know, with some sort of, like, you know, like uh, raised eyebrow sort of look. Like, d how did you think that it was going to go down compared to how it went down? To be honest, I think it kind of went down uh, pretty much as I expected. Uh, it was probably about a year ago or so to, to now when I was first asked to be on um, Cigar Coop. And, and, uh, and I don't know if it was like a combo episode or whatever, but Cigar Coop and Bear Duplessis had me on. And one of the questions they asked me in that interview was about Consumer Day. And so, like I said, I'd already been, well, like we talked about before the, the episode started, I'd already had started to have some conversations because this has been going on for years, the, these conversations. And so um, I, I was, I'd, I've done some research. I'd seen blog posts on and, and things like that written on many other sites and things like that. So I was kind of well aware of where the sentiment lied. And, and, and so... I don't think that I was necessarily expecting anything different um, than than kind of what happened. Um, it for me, the expectation was because of so many different moving parts and kind of what was going on industry wise, which ended up putting the circumstances in play for how it was done. That's what I was not necessarily expecting, and so um, so that morning of the announcement and getting ready to go with it. I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't have a whole lot of time to really think about it before it actually happened because we were really busy with a lot of stuff. You know, I presented to the manufacturers about some new tools that we have coming out for them. We had this whole new education system with these three stages going on simultaneously with something that we did to add more educational value for the show. 
and then it jumped right into to the actual uh, announcement to the point to where I kind of turned around and I was like, oh, God, we're missing Christian. Where's Christian Aurora right now? Let's get him on stage. So it was kind of one of those things where, you know, it was actually kind of good. I didn't have a lot of time to sit there and think about it all day. Um, um, but uh, by and large, I think that in a way the energy was good, but in, in, in another way, the biggest issue that everybody justifiably had was they didn't really know a whole lot more after the announcement than they did before. Mm. And so it was really just sort of a confirmation of rumors. And right. so that was definitely our mistake. Instead of saying, and we, we focused too much on the fact that, you know, it was released. And so these rumors. And so we focused on the fact of saying, here's the genesis and the why of it, as opposed to here are the specifics of the, what that we were thinking about. And we got into that a lot more in the media session and a little bit more in the Q and a, um, and, and I think that that was kind of, that was the issue that if I could go back, we would have probably said, look, we're going to walk through this logistically with you all um, just to lay it out for some of the work that we've done to see if this even makes sense. Right. That and, was, that was and, actually yeah. going to be my next question was, you know, what, what would you have done differently? And you, you sort of answered that in that, it, it, what you were just saying, like what might you have done differently now in retrospect, thinking back. But so like there was like two main things. We had the change in branding you know, yeah. from IPCPR to the Premium Cigar Association. And then we had the announcement, the official announcement of CigarCon, which would be a consumer day at the event. So those two things sort of going on simultaneously. Do you think that it was a mistake to announce, you know, CigarCon and the rebranding all at the same time? Did, did, did CigarCon sort of overshadow the, you know, rebranding of the, of the organization? Yeah, it definitely did. And then uh, my my editor's note uh, in the upcoming issue of the PCA magazine, it says as such that, you know, we we as the staff have been incredibly hard at work on this rebrand and the rebrand being more, you know, the, the goal behind the rebrand is to transition the association from a, a, a trade show to a full service retailer trade association to where we're offering value 365 days a year. Uh, as opposed to we're a week-long trade show and then you forget about us for the rest of the time. And a lot of that was lost with this. And so uh, absolutely it should have been separated. It's why we, again, when a lot of this external stuff um, came in and sort of made it to be to where we had to wait and delay the announcement the way that we did and everything else, uh, it definitely hindsight. We should have said, let's just go with the rebrand right now and we can move forward with the, the consumer aspects later. Uh, I think the main driver behind doing it at the show is, and again, this was not communicated as well as it should have been when we did this, was we're announcing this is that, hey, we want to do Consumer Day next year. And the reason why doing it at the show is that it's a lot easier to have good quality conversations face-to-face -face with people sure. than people kind of emailing us one off or, or doing some of these other things. And so, but that's why when we kind of unpack and said, look, what are some of the mistakes that we made? And we said, well, why don't we go ahead and let's go open this up to a subcommittee? Well, clearly, we, we don't have, since a lot of the logistics and the ideas have changed, we, we need to delay this because I said, there's no way. The fish cut bait happened kind of a long time ago. So I said, let's open this up. And then that way, this gives us the opportunity what we should have done beforehand. We're going to announce that this idea is there. And here are the reasons why. I think a lot of people, I think, understand right now what the reasons why this is such a consideration and now we can go ahead and say, look, let's get so let's get a broad perspective. And I said, you know, a lot of other associations I've worked in, we have a broader volunteer base involved in these committees. Let's model that. So that's why we're moving forward with that. 
So uh, yeah, there were definitely mistakes, and definitely would do it differently if we if we could go back, you know, six months, we would definitely do it differently. So yeah, like I I think what you're saying is, had you uh, announced the PCA name change at the show and then said, you know, in 2021, uh, you know, we're gonna do Cigar Con, and that gives everybody like a whole year to like extra year to sort of like figure this out. That that is that the thing that sort of like maybe like flipped a lot of people to like you know kind of freaking out like oh my god like this is crazy what are we what are we doing here yeah yeah it did and, and you know it was really it was really difficult because you know we were trying to play essentially four or five sides kind of against the middle and what we were doing with a lot of different things uh whether with with other you know groups within the industry with us with with everything else and i think that that would have been saying look as part of this rebrand as part of what we're trying to do moving forward is to grow our, our sphere of influence and grow the tent here as far as the industry is concerned. Part of that's going to include some consumer engagement. One idea that we have as far as that is concerned is there's there's nothing like the trade show. There's nothing like the grandeur of this event. Um, and as someone at the trade show pointed out, they said, you know, one of the best things about this is that this is really one of the only times where everybody in this industry is together. Not only the big names, but everybody else. And so... You know, when I had a good um, conversation, and in fact, it was right before Skip came on your show, I think, where I had like a two-hour-plus conversation with him on the phone. And he said, you know, I came to the show as a consumer. For me, it was when I was really fell in love with the industry, the whole culture of the cigar, premium cigar industry, and why I knew I wanted to be a part of it. And he said, I can really see the value behind it, consumers coming here and going from the guy who loves cigars and loves to learn about the industry to wanting to be an active participant in the industry, especially where we find ourselves with regulation and some of the other things that are going on. And so I think that, that couching it that way, saying, look, this is a goal that we have of increasing our consumer engagement. And one of those, one of those ideas that's been kind of germinating for a while is some kind of consumer event that we can hold in conjunction with this show. All right, so earlier in the show, a, f- a couple of minutes ago, you stated everybody knows why we need to do this, like why we need to change. Um, but maybe everybody doesn't know. Tell me in your sure. words, why does it, Why do we need the change? What's, what is the genesis of having to make this uh, dramatic change to adding a consumer day to the show? Yeah, so uh, there's a, I think most people understand that we're kind of on the precipice of unprecedented regulation that's coming against the industry. Uh, and one of the things that we've noticed, so just a little brief, brief history, is that um, it's been about five years where um, before IPCPR, now PCA, has been really focused on advocacy efforts. And one of the things that we've learned is that really most, legisl- most regulatory uh, acts happen at the local level that percolate up. And so when we look, we said there's 40,000 municipalities within the United States, and all those municipalities at any given time could potentially have laws, taxes, other smoking bans, that kind of stuff. And we need to be able to kind of be more active in those areas to, to kill them there before they ever have a chance to get any bigger. And so while we, we do have stores in every single congressional district, having one or two store owners, that's good. Um, bordering on great, but if we had two or three store owners plus 20 or 30 of the consumers who are also business owners and taxpayers in those districts and voters who also have families and friends that they can influence, it suddenly becomes something that those local representatives must pay attention to much, much more so than a couple of people who have businesses. And 
in particular, and, and this is an example that I like to use in a way, um, you know, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I was back uh, visiting, and I went to the tinderbox that's there. And I was talking to the guys that are there, and so, as most people know, you being a neighboring state, you understand that there's a very heavy Mormon influence in Utah. Right. I don't think I'm, you know, yeah, I'm not sure I'm not, you know, breaking any kind of news there. Well, Mormons are obviously very notoriously anti-tobacco. But there was a, a local representative there who was willing to take a tax cap and fight for it because he understood what that meant for state revenues. And so there are ways in which we could have played a more active role because when I talked to the guys at Tinderbox, they said, you know, he was there. He just didn't quite have all the information when he was getting pestered with questions. And I said, guys, next time engage us and we can, we can help move that forward. We've got the data. We've got ways in which we can help. And there's just not a lot of premium cigar stores in the Salt Lake Valley that, that would have been able to truly galvanize to help. But if we had you know, more ways in which we could enlist those consumers, that's where that's at. The second part of this is you know, we were a big part of the, of the lawsuit. We just had oral arguments here about the, the warning labels. The next one coming up is the really big one, which is substantial equivalence. Mm -hmm. And right now, the Maryland court says, hey, you got till till next year, till what next March it is in order to, to, to comply. The problem with that is, is that there are some retailers out there that can have 80 to 90 percent of those products have to be pulled off their shelves if this, in fact, goes through. So that lawsuit is is fundamental to the survival of this industry and, and getting that killed effectively as we can in any way we can. So what, and, wait, uh, Scott, what, what role does the PCA play in this legislative, you know, battle? Like where, where do you guys fit in with like cigar rights of America and everything? Like, do you have your own like crew of lawyers that are also lobbying in, in Washington and whatnot? Yeah, we have our own legislative affairs team, uh, and which is, which is both state as well as federal. So we're incredibly active within the state. We have pretty much, either uh, uh, contractors or representatives from us that work uh, multiple states or single states, uh, depending upon the state and it, it, how it works. But we have pretty much coverage of almost all 50 states. And on the federal side, we do have a federal affairs director. We also have a program manager of government relations that focuses on things like PAC fundraising and events. And then we have consultant firms that we use, um, like the lobbying firms that uh, have you know ex-congressmen and senators and things like that that help us with getting the, the meetings and, and, and agencies. And so like the work we just did with the SBA or last week with the Congressional Black Caucus and the, and the diversity and entrepreneurism where we had, you know, the Trace Lindas, um, Yvette Yvonne Rodriguez from Miami came up and they're two black women, two black Cuban women who came, who have their cigar. And so we do have a very, very active team. We work um, pretty much hand in hand with CRA um, as they are more manufacturer driven and things like that. We tend to focus on, on some retailer things. We're growing our portfolio of retailer uh, lobbying where it take, takes things like minimum wage laws or, or payment processing and things like that that we're mm -hmm. focused on that doesn't affect manufacturers and affects retailers. Uh, but the lawsuits we, we, we share with the CRA. And as Rocky mentioned at the trade show, we spent almost $4 million on these lawsuits, and that's only the beginning stages. And as we get down and we start finding this particularly substantial equivalence even more in the courts – those costs are only going to increase and increase dramatically, and we don't we don't have a bottomless well here of money that we can tap into. And one of the things that we're trying to do is provide a means that we think that the uh, consumers would rally around and find value in, and at the same time, it's a way for us to take that money and put it right back into the legal defense of the industry. Right, so I've heard a lot of people say, this next comment and I'll just let you respond to it is um, 
Okay, so the PCA needs more money to fight these battles. That's great. We get that. We totally understand that. Um, but was was Cigar Con the only idea on the table? I mean, wasn't there other ideas? And uh, now I'll just give you my response and while you think about this. is My response was, okay, what, what's your idea? Let's, let's hear your idea. I mean, um, there, there's only so many things we can do here. Now that, you know, you could theoretically... Yeah, dramatically raise you know um, membership premiums for uh, uh, you know manufacturers and even media guys like me. Um, so respond to that. Was that the uh, was that is that the only option? It's it's not the only option, um, but right now it's the most prominent option. I haven't really heard of many others um, other than raising dues. And we know what other cigar festivals or events make. And none of those are set up for the express purpose of putting all of the money that comes into it right back into paying legal fees for the defense of the industry. Right. And so that's why we thought, you know what, if we can kind of model it around some of these others, we feel like there are enough consumers that would come to something that we would put on where it would make the kind of money where it would be able to pay for at least – part of a significant part of or uh, most of some of our legal bills and so because because when we're looking at it there's only so many retailers and if we look at some of the others that exist out there and what they're netting on certain things or what they're bringing in the door i mean with 900 to 1000 retailers we're going to raise your dues 500 dollars 1000 dollars try to you know raise dues on manufacturers and, and, and things like that it just that's not a feasible model, and, and it's not necessarily I – mean, you guys are already putting a lot into this by paying the dues, coming to the trade show. A lot of people you know, support the pack. A lot of people do that. And so for us, it was a way to, to, to diversify or, or not really diversify, but, but really to grow the, the, the base of people that can, that can contribute to this. And, and the other part of it is, is that you know, we, we want to keep this still a membership-driven organization and a membership-driven event. And so as part of that, the consumers would have to become part of the organization, the dues-paying members, right? And so as part of that, it allows us to be able to reach out for other fundraising events, local events, PAC events, and things like that. Uh, so um, so I think that, that that's kind of the reason why is that right now we feel this is the strongest possibility for us. Now, again, the, 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 uh, let's try to separate the idea of a consumers at the trade show because that's still not necessarily what it is. And Maybe we can get into that a little bit, but separate that idea from it. But we still feel like this is still the way that it, it going back to Skip's statement of getting consumers really bought into this industry, getting them tied into this culture, falling in love with it even more to the point that they're actually going to want to spend some time and a little bit of extra money to help it uh, is really the best way for us to really galvanize and activate a consumer army that I just don't think we have yet tapped into to its fullest potential. All right. And then, so that's kind of where that's at. Uh, real quick, this uh, question was asked um, by Chad. Uh, can you discuss more on this substantial equivalence? Uh, now, we've talked about this a ton on the show, but maybe just real quick, Scott, you can tell folks uh, what that means. Yeah, so 2007 is essentially a date that the FDA picked that said if your cigar is not substantially equivalent to anything that was on the shelf at that date, it, it has to come off the shelves, and it can't be sold anymore. And they're, they're just in a quick nutshell, they're basing this off of 
how cigarettes are regulated. And, you know, cigarettes are all machine made. It's really easy for them to be uniform. And what we're trying to do, what we just did two days ago with the SBA and the FDA in this roundtable was to explain, and Drew Newman did a beautiful job as yeah, well as yeah. uh, my, uh, you know, Mike Rosales and, and Steve Saka of why each individual cigar that is rolled is different than the next. And, and even if you have a box of 20, no two of those inside there. I mean, they're really snowflakes, you know, as far as that's concerned. And so in order to try to regulate that in a way that the cigarettes are um, is impossible. And so that's the whole point is that, uh, you know, for, for Saka with Dunbarton and with Rosales from Roma Craft and any number of these, even though the, the Cigar Dojo and the Room 101 that you showed right now, even though technically speaking, that tobacco is no different than any tobacco that was in 2006, uh, it, would ha- it would not be allowed because it is not substantially equivalent to something that was sitting on a shelf and already made and rolled and being sold and consumed before 2007. Right. All right. Uh, we're going to uh, get more into this as we go. I'm going to give you guys a quick little message from our buddies at JR Cigar. This show is sponsored by JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high end boxes. Don't forget to check out their social media pages, including YouTube, where they feature cigar reviews, interviews, their most famous weekly top five. This week, the weekly top five will be to showcase the best cigars for the rum lover. And I do like a good rum. Um, and also features the crown heads, my father and Ashton. So, guys, go check out um, JR Cigars. Appreciate their, their support of the show. This is the third year. We're start, just now starting. Last week was the first episode of our third year as a partner with JR Cigars. And we couldn't do it without them. So, please check out uh, JR Cigars if you can. We are coming back to our guest. It's Scott Pierce, the executive director of the Premium Cigar Association. We're talking all things trade show, the name, and everything. Let's get right into CigarCon now. I'm going to show everybody the logo. So CigarCon was intended to start <laughs> next year. Uh, to be clear, that's not the actual logo. It's I not. That's something that Charlie pulled up. Oh, so. okay. I don't know. I searched it's it. It's a little bit. It's a little bit. It's a little bit different. Okay. It's a little bit different. I'm so, not sure where those killers came from, but all right. So, so that's not the exact logo. But so we were going to have yeah. a cigar con, which would be a consumer day. Like anybody could go. They could pay a certain amount. They could get into the show. They could see the amazing booths. I mean, you walk into the trade show, and you know the Padron booth, the My Father booth, the Fuente booth. It at the Davidoff booth, they're like mini cities inside there. I mean, they're massive. These people spend millions, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. I don't know what they spend on these things, but it really is a sight to behold. And so the idea of CigarCon was to let the consumers come in and have a day and get cigars from these guys, talk to them, get to see the booths, talk about the tobacco, all that kind of stuff. That's the genesis sort of of this idea, Scott. And... When this idea came out, I, from my perspective, just going through the show, because we cover the show every year, we've been doing it for eight years, covering the show, and I went around, and that was one of the first things, Scott, that I asked every person that I interviewed at the show this year, and the first day, I had almost unanimously 100%, everybody, every manufacturer that I talked to loved this idea. They loved it. And now, just by chance, I don't know if this is just coincidence or what. But then the next couple days, I had very negative. I had very, very negative responses. So like, it was basically, in my opinion, it was like fifty-fifty. Like manufacturers were like, they were either like one hundred percent behind this idea, or they were one hundred percent 
not behind this idea. Uh, what was the feedback that you got, the feedback that ultimately caused us to postpone the 2020 version of this and push it back to 2021? What was that feedback that made you eventually say, okay, we're not going to do it in 2020? Yeah, so uh, again, the, the why of it, I think that, like I said, most people, when I had the conversation with them, and that was the one major benefit, even as you know, most of my days were 12, 14 hours of nonstop conversations about this. And the big benefit is that face-to-face conversation. And most people once they talk to yeah, we get it, we understand. However, a lot of concerns. And going back to this, I think that that because we didn't lay out specifically, um, I mean, I don't know, if, it, it, when you work on something so much, it gets to a point to where you don't even have to think about it. Your subconscious, it, you just knows this stuff. And you forget that some people are hearing this for the first time. And so you're having to go back to like the, the very, very, very beginning stages when you first started doing this. And my staff and I toiled nonstop for months. Like I said, this was my first day when I first started hearing about the idea of a consumer day. So we toiled, how do we make this equitable? How do we make this from the, from the person who just has a table all the way up to the big guys in terms of the manufacturers make it equitable? How do we make this to where the retailers are getting the biggest benefit out of this? How do we make it so we can safeguard this? And so all these ideas were kind of born from that. And I think that when some of the manufacturers started to hear about the logistics behind some of this stuff, they were like, well, wait a minute. Logistically, that's kind of impossible for us. And it's too much of an unknown. The way we had kind of laid it out a little bit, uh, I don't know if you were there where we said, look, we kind of have this idea of color coding the, the guys and, and people would go through and right. they'd be able to swipe the card and be able to pick their cigars so we could limit it. But you'd have the idea to kind of shop the floor. And, and a lot of people are like, I'm, I'm not even sure I want That's an expense I'm not really kind of willing to take. It's too much of an unknown for us for how many cigars we'd have and when and where and everything. And, and so we really kind of went back to the drawing board. And that's where, like I said, I had some really fantastic conversations where we had some deep dives with guys like Art from Perdomo, Skip Martin, handfuls of others. You know, Pete Johnson's always been a really big um, uh, advocate for this, had some good conversations with him um, and Rocky and a bunch of others as well. And and really we started to, to go in and refocus this a little bit and start to say, okay, how do we make this an event that is a, not necessarily a part of the show, but something where we can capitalize? It was art at Perdomo that said, guys, the biggest value that we have for consumers here is that they could come and see everybody in the cigar industry here. No other event has has George Padron, has Carlito Fuente, has Lito Gomez, has Pete Johnson, has Pepin Garcia, has Rocky Patel, has Skip Martin. Uh, the list goes on and on. They are all there. And when we started to kind of say, okay, then let's pivot and let's start rethinking this a little bit. And so we completely stripped away what we had worked on um, and, and it felt great. It felt like a huge weight was lifted, to be honest with you, and started to focus on, on that aspect of what we could do with it. And now that's when we said, let's go ahead and open up this subcommittee and start from this perspective and now start working. And we said, if we're going to do that, there is absolutely no way we can get this done by 2020. It was iffy to begin with. And the only reason why we felt that we could potentially pull it off in 2020 initially is because a lot of the work that was that you generally do in order to pull off an event like this, the, the finding the space, the contracting, the hotels and everything else, we already had. And so for us, it was really the design of what that consumer element would be. And, and so we said, let's postpone this to 2021 because if we're going to do this. We have to do it right. And we need to get a lot more voices involved to make sure that the single store owner that is coming that may not necessarily want to be around their their consumers all day, every day, 
up to the guys that have 10, 12 stores, et cetera, that might be bringing 15 people with them, that every single one of them gets value and benefit out of this, and it does not disrupt the core purpose of the trade show in and of itself and keeps that, keeps the, that integrity. All right. Hey, uh, uh, Scott, you got a question? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring up, uh, you say you've got the subcommittee for this that you're putting together that's really working on this. Is this something, are they just brainstorming amongst themselves? Are they going out viewing other events, uh, festivals, things that pop to mind being here in Colorado? The Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest just happened. That was an excellent event that everybody loves every year. It just seems to grow bigger and bigger as well as coming up in October is the Great American Beer Festival, which is a humongous event. Is it something that they're looking at other events for ideas and ways to, I guess, help develop this as it goes? Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, it was part of what we were doing to begin with. Um, you know, Terry Gallagher was on our board, who is the one who does Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest. Uh, and so, and, you know, Gene Richter from General, which holds the CI in the Cigar Fest in, in March, I think it is, or May, um, uh, all, all part of it. And so, Right now, what we're doing, our new website's going to launch in a couple of weeks, and all the committee stuff is on there. But for those that have reached out to me directly that want to be involved, we're going to be sending an invitation, most likely Monday or Tuesday next week. It's all ready to go to get them in early for these applications. We know there's going to be probably, I mean, I would say, just based upon a lot of the feedback, upwards of maybe 50 or more people that are going to want to be involved. But a committee that big is not going to be able to function the way that we want it to. So we do want to be able to kind of get this, the size right because we are going to be asking people to do some work. And it's not going to be I'm just going to call in and give you my opinion and rant and then I'm going to disappear for six months. Just to your point, Scott, is do some work. What are some of these areas where we need to go? Um, uh, Lisa, who's our trade show senior director, her husband uh, does Atlas Brewing, uh, uh, has Atlas Brewery here in D.C. He's at the Great American Beer Fest. And so uh, probably we'll be looking at that. We'll be down at the Cigar Heritage Festival in, in December uh, in Tampa and looking at doing some, some other events. And there's also the one that's in um, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, I just lost his name, but the gentleman who started the one in Texas, um, that's a very successful event there as well. All of those are on the table up to and including even industries to where, uh, whether it's the golf industry, whether it's the boat shows and the car shows and things like that. We're gonna, we, we, we started to look at those beforehand in terms of the ideas of modeling what we wanted to do, but there will be a much deeper dive. And what we're going to look at is developing clear and concrete. So the next time, again, lessons learned when we announce what is going to go on with CigarCon, if it in fact goes on. It's going to be laid out specifically. Here's exactly when it's going to start. Here's exactly when it's going to end. Here's how people are going to register here, the prices for the tickets, et cetera, et cetera. And, and juxtaposed with that, a lot of the concerns are security. And so we've already been in talks with companies that do um, sort of enhanced tech and security for things like Best Buy, Home Depot, NFL stadiums, and things like that, that we're already looking into to see we're pricing stuff out there in order to make sure and ensure that the safety and the quality of the security that we have is is even increased. Now, Scott, you just said um, if it goes on, is there a question that 2021 might not happen, or are we like, is this it? We're we're in. It seems to me like there has to come a point where you're like, we're in or we're not in. Like this is either a, an idea that we're going to do, or this is an idea that we're not going to do. Are you saying that we're still questioning the 2021 cigar con? I, would, I wouldn't say that we're, that we're questioning it. I would say right now our goal is to work towards having a consumer event in 2021. And the subcommittee's job is going to be to figure out all the logistical components to make sure that we can pull that off. But 
like we said before, if we get to a point, we're going to get to a point to where that decision is going to have to be made. It's the fish or cut bait time of saying this has to go forward. And the reason why this, this more open committee makes a lot of sense is that if we have a broader community that is bought in, especially those that are pretty pessimistic on it in the first place, which we want, if they're bought in and said, hey, you know what, I've been able to bring my concerns, they've, they've been addressed, and, and I feel confident that we can move forward and I will still have a great trade show and I don't have any worries about the consumer aspect, then I know we've done our job and then they, uh, if it's 100% sign off that we can go from there. Because the last thing that we want to do is something that is going to be deleterious to the organization and to the industry. We're really looking at ways in which we can do something that is beneficial and that is going to be beneficial for both manufacturers and retailers and then valuable for the consumers. So, Scott, getting into the, the issue of just the trade show itself, just the idea of a cigar trade show, is this idea antiquated? For instance, and what I'm saying here is, um, you know, the Great American Beer Fest is a 100% consumer-driven event. There is no, it's not a, uh, uh, uh internal uh, business trade show. It is all consumer. So you think of, like, other big trade shows like CES and, and those types of things. Like, it seems important for people to get their hands on, say, like, new consumer electronics. They need to see how it works. Like, how does this, how does this new virtual reality you know, mask work? How does this new remote control work? Yeah. All that type of stuff. Cigars, you don't need to see how they work. It, 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 a cigar is a cigar. Now, you might want to taste it. You want to see what it tastes like, and is it good or is it bad? But essentially, a cigar is a cigar. Is, is that one of the factors that's driving the idea of changing this to a, a different type of event? Because maybe just the idea of a trade show to buy product for cigars is antiquated. Yeah, you know, this is not unique to this industry whatsoever. I've been in associations for 20-plus years and doing this. And beforehand, I was in the healthcare industry, and they have this massive radiology conference that happens every year at the end of November, beginning of December in Chicago. And it, it 60,000 people, right, dwarfs what, what our show is. And even there, for several years in a row, there was always these grumblings about oh, decreased attendance. People just don't travel anymore, et cetera, et cetera. And then, in fact, I'll be at, a, at an exhibition industry research uh, thing next week, going into some of the economics behind trade shows and where all that's at. It very much is um, a thing that's the, a, a model that's changing that needs to change, and especially with the onset of new technologies and, and the needs of of people within our industry, especially that I think is a little bit different of a reason than, I mean, I don't, they're related, but the one doesn't necessarily precipitate the other, the, 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 the the sliding or the changing environment of a trade show industry, uh, at least from my understanding of when I came into this is not necessarily the driver before it. I think that there is a feeling that this could rejuvenate and add some excitement back into the industry and therefore might repel people to it. But you know, it's, um, the, the consumer electronics show is really industry. There are consumers can't get into that show. I mean, it's it's and so it really still is industry driven, um, and that's why it's such an important thing. But we're right now coming up with um, different ideas or models to enhance what the trade show experience is. But the flip side that we're really looking at, and this goes back to the rebrand, we as an organization need to be a full service organization. So we're looking at new ways in which we can enhance the actual annual event to be more valuable for members and to provide. 
formats for the members to have their voices heard and to really be involved much more with the organization at the annual trade show, at, at the annual meeting is what I should say. We really want to get to a point where we have an annual meeting, not just a trade show, right? Because we can't keep falling back on the whole moniker of, I don't need to come because I get the deals anyway. Right. Or the manufacturers kill the trade show because they give the deals all year long and you know, and that whole thing. If the whole point of coming is to get the deals, then we've kind of lost anyway, right? I mean, that's, that's 30 years ago and it doesn't need to be the case anymore. So we're really kind of focused on ways in which we enhance experience, ways in which we uh, provide opportunities for vendors and their retailers to come together, get better at their business. I know I just sat in our in our townhouse yesterday um, with uh, or Wednesday. I'm sorry, um, uh, with Mike uh, Rosales from Romacraft and um, the good cigar Don Williams, um, Josh Everts, and they were talking about their relationship and how they work to ensure that his inventory is being sold at the optimum rate. And it, when he's better at doing that, and if he's working in conjunction with his vendor, then their relationship just continues to grow in terms of what they're reaping for their their net profits. And that's, that's one of the main aspects that we need to start focusing on for what we do at the trade show for retailers and with vendors. It can't just be about sitting down and taking orders because, quite frankly, there are other more efficient ways that we can provide that. So really – it, it's really kind of an interesting time for us to be able to start taking way more innovative approaches to what we are really in the business of. And I've said this several times. I started taking a, a business strategy approach to this organization, and what we really are is a two-sided platform. We are, in a sense, kind of like iTunes, right? We've got producers on one side, the cigar makers, who are bringing their products into a platform, and now we've got to bring the retailers in in interesting ways in order to engage in that platform. And so that's the whole perspective that we're taking, not just with the trade show, but with the organization as a whole. So, yes, we want to kind of revamp and evolve what the, the model of the show is, but in various different ways that answers the value for the retailers coming, but also enhances opportunities for vendors to grow their business with the retailers vis-a-vis -vis relationships, education, and, and product education as well. All right, so uh, let's get into the hardest question of the night. Let's talk uh, attendance at the show. So, yeah. Um, just from my perspective, doing this, you know, not very long. Eight years isn't very long compared to how long most guys have been doing this. So I'm not trying to say that I'm some sort of expert on it. But from my perspective, at the show this year, it seemed like attendance was way, way down. And I'm, I mean, that would be my only negative. You know, I've, I've publicly said that I supported CigarCon. I'm, 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 I'm a, a champion of that idea, and I like the idea, but. I, you know, from my perspective, it seemed like the the reason that the idea had to be there is because attendance was down so much this year. Now, you guys put out you know some attendance numbers right after the show that made it yep. that showed that it was similar to years past. But it just seemed hard for me to believe, Scott, that those numbers were accurate because based on day three and day four of this year's show, I mean, day three yep. seemed more like day four, and day four <laughs> just seemed like a complete ghost town. Uh, day four was. Day four was absolutely a ghost town. I think there's a couple of, there's there's a couple of factors that play into that. And, and to be honest with you, I was very curious about the numbers too. Um, what we reported was everybody who showed up to pick up a badge. And here's the one main difference. About a month ago, I was at a, a trade show for basically association executives, right? And their show floor was about half the size of ours. Their attendance was about three times the size of ours, and that's fairly average for us. We had 
a much larger space than when we, when we were in the convention hall, right? We had halls A, B, and C in the sands. That was required. The sands required that of us in order to be there. We had to use hall C to build out the event space so that we could smoke there. Otherwise, we'd have things like education and everything else that have to be off the show floor. We wouldn't be able to smoke. The sands wanted to be able to sell that space. So we had to build everything out into hall C. So that entire space now is ours. And so it's a huge footprint. And when we have that, I mean, you talk about the booths, right? These booth sizes and these booths are amazing, but they're they're essentially stores. I mean, my God, you walk into Perdomo or Ashton or Oliva, you're walking into a beautiful lounge. And the square footage space is sometimes even bigger than some even retail stores. Um, and so, I mean, my local retail store, you could probably fit three of them inside the Perdomo booth. That's true, but and those so, those booths, Scott, have been the same size for years. Sure, but when you couple that with with the the amount of space that we had to take on, boost space and everything else, it's a little bit different. So that back of that hall and everything else, on that last day, the other part of this is is, is that we we had to renegotiate this afterwards because we didn't want to be in there on those dates. But in order to get back into the sands, we had to be back in in this weekend, and we know for a fact that people front loaded this year because we had. When we, were, when we were budgeting and doing our F&B orders and everything else for the Sands Venetian, here's a fun factoid for you guys. Okay. This, is a, this won't surprise you, I don't think, but um, we looked at what the attendance numbers are generally for that opening party. And so we said, okay, it's, it's been fairly consistent and the same for the past five years, so that's what we're going to plan on. We had 1,000 more people show up to the opening night party than we have in any previous of the five years. Those 1,000 people drank the Venetian and the Palazzo out of all of their scotch bourbon and whiskey to the point that the food and beverage director was fearing for his job he got in his own car and drove to local liquor stores to buy more so that they actually the restaurants on the site had more of that on when we drank they were gone i mean for people that were out there you probably know that they ran out but the entire property we drank them all out because we had it was it was you know everybody front-loaded it and people were leaving to get back because the fourth of july was just a few days after the show ended and so i think that that played a large part in why it was so dead at the end of that day but the other part, too, is that unless you're inside a booth, you walk down, even at the busiest times, you know, the first day people are like, oh, it's hopping, or even the beginning of the second day of some of the other booths say, hey, we really picked up. I, I was consistently walking, and I was always remarking, you know, the halls don't ever seem that packed. When I was at, like, the radiology shows or even these other shows, it's, it's way busier because it's a smaller footprint for the size of people that are actually there. And so the, the, I think another difference is to – um, and your perception is not the same as what this statement's addressing, but what, one of the things that, that we have seen is that some consolidation of some stores that are bought or some of these other things to where um, the account numbers are generally the same, and so but they might bring a couple more people. And so for 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 a manufacturer, I'm seeing one guy who now represents instead of two accounts, it's representing four accounts, for example. And so those other people that may have come and added more people to the actual show floor. It's a little bit different. We saw more people coming earlier. More people came on. We had a couple people tell us that they were they were excited and interested in coming in early and, and doing some other things and wanted additional staff to come because of some of the education we were doing. Some people were interested in coming because they obviously were hearing about the announcement and that kind of stuff. Not a lot, but there were more people coming on uh, um, company ba- company memberships as opposed to m- m- the companies. Do you think and that so, was, was, did that? I mean, there was a lot made of um, okay, it's it's over the. Fourth of July week, and that's a rough week to travel. Uh, my perspective was that's not a rough week to travel. That's actually a good week to travel because it's a holiday and stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Was did that have play a factor at all? Or 
I, you know, to be honest, leading into it, I didn't know if it was going to be. But after I saw the numbers, especially when we saw the amount of people coming to that opening party, where historically half that many people showed up, I definitely think it was an issue. Okay. I mean, and, and so I mean, I can only tell you what the numbers are telling me. Um, right. And so, and and I mean, legit, I would tell people if the attendance was was down or whatever it was, and we did. We reported the amount of accounts was actually slightly less, but more they brought more people. Right. Not a lot more. I mean, it was it was roughly the same, uh, but I do think it was front loaded. I definitely think it was front loaded. A lot of people, I think, did leave on that that uh, Sunday night and Monday. So uh, from here on out, is it pretty much Las Vegas? Is that the set upon location? It seems like we're heading in that direction, which is great for me because I'm close to Las Vegas. <laughs> you are, yeah. So yeah. you know, like selfishly, I love that. But uh, yeah. what's your thoughts? Are we gonna move it around at all, or are we pretty much just honed in on Las Vegas as a as a pl- as a as a location, so the um, for at least a, the next few years we are just because we had to, we wanted to get that contract with the Sands. People really like that property, um, but uh, we are right now actively looking at other uh, other locations because we got you know p- these things get planned years in advance. So we're now putting RFPs. One of the reasons why I was at that trade show that I mentioned earlier that's uh, for Association Industries is because I wanted to meet as many destinations as I could. Because we always have to ask the question first, can we smoke in your facility? Right. So, so Las Vegas, we know, is always going to be open to us doing it. But we did have conversations with, with several places. And, you know, I even looked at places like Churchill Downs, for example, because you can smoke there. That's a complete, you know, you can smoke there. and Say, you know what, is it feasible to do something here even, you know? So going back to the whole thing about being innovative about what this whole event is, we are looking at that. We are looking at different locations and putting out RFPs for different cities and finding out if we, in fact, can. Um, smoke there, and if we can, does it have enough space for us? Um, and and then going from from there. So we're not linked into you know in Las Vegas in perpetuity, but it is there for at least the next few years. Gotcha. I I think it's a great location personally. People like to go to Las Vegas. What about the time frame of the year? Why why does it have to be in the middle of summer? It seems like maybe, it seems like maybe like for retailers, you know, like scheduling their planning their fiscal year and all of that sort of stuff. It seems like the winter would be a better time frame. It's not nearly as hot. Why is it in the middle of summer? Why are we doing the IPCPR, the PCA, in the middle of summer? Yeah, so um, historically it does help keep costs down. Las Vegas will not allow us there in, in, in that time because okay. they are so packed, so busy as far as that's concerned. Um, you know, years ago there were, there were some, uh, there were some surveys done and, and, and there, there were people that said, you know, it's easier for me. What's interesting is we say, well, you know, it's, 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 it's hot and, and, you know, the winter it's cold in some people, but the reality is too, is that we do have a lot of retailers that are in places where in February, March, they're still really busy because the weather's much better there. If you're thinking, you know, South Florida, you're thinking in the, in the Southeast, right? Atlanta, where you have a ton of them and in Texas and things like that too. So, uh, you know, we're never going to be able to, to 100%, um, uh, satisfy everybody, but, you are absolutely not the first and you will not be the last person that, that brings that up. And, um, you know, I'm going to be honest with you right now. We are open to having these discussions to figure out exactly what would be the best for the industry for us to do this right. and, and taking a look at it. So yeah, for the next couple, like as you said, for the next little bit, we're, we're in Las Vegas at this time frame, but that does not mean that, that anything is set in stone as far as that's concerned. All right. So here, here's my final thought on cigar con for you, Scott. And then, uh, and then we're going to move on to another topic. But find a way, I don't care what it takes, but find a way 
to make Cigar Con, the Consumer Day, the last day of the trade show. Make it the last day. Find a way to, I don't care if, whatever you got to do to rearrange the schedule, that should be the final day. Because for like manufacturers, if it's the first day, that's actually the middle day for them because they do all this two or three days setting up. You know how this goes because you've been there every year. They yeah. do all this time setting up for like dealing with you know, retailers and the writing orders and have their desks out with their order sheets and all that sort of stuff. And then they would have to like somehow sweep all of that away to deal with consumers and then put it all back, you know, to deal with consumers on, you know, or to deal with retailers on the final few days. It seems to me CigarCon should be on the final date. What do you think of that idea? All things. <laughs> He's almost speechless. Did you see that? Scott was almost speechless there. He actually, I actually made him cough. <laughs> all things uh, all things being equal i would agree with you and what's interesting is i asked that question for our advisory board because uh, we met with our advisory board of all of our manufacturers and exhibitors on monday morning that's when we typically meet with them at the trade show and i said a lot of the feedback i've gotten from retailers is that they preferred on the last day every single one of them instantly said no way we want this set up on the first day because that's when we'd be able to show our best face forward our booze were beat to ship by the retailers um we're, we're exhausted at that time and if then so so we, we like i said this is something we've been going back and forth on and if we could change it logistically the reason why the trade show is what it is is so that we can keep and mitigate labor costs because if we were to move it i would i me generally i would say okay what if we what if we started the trade show more like on a tuesday right because it's easier you know the, the weekends are always busy time for retailers but if we did it in the middle of the week it would probably make more sense but the problem with that is is labor costs skyrocket because we would have to effectively pay for two weekends oh. of labor, and that's expensive, especially when you get into union labor in Las Vegas. It would the cost would skyrocket for both building the booths and then the teardown as well. So what you're so saying is you need like a midweek to midweek, right? So gotcha. right to where we wouldn't necessarily it would depend if we're so I mean if we're talking you know hypothetically here in a different location where labor costs everything else and we could switch it around. Absolutely, I would love to have it kind of on the last day, and that's when I really started to get into some of the weeds when we were talking with some manufacturers about what if we decided to design this in a way to where it wasn't so reliant upon using the show floor as the staging area for where all of the interaction happened, but as uh, um, uh, sort of a, a, a perk or kind of a, a, a um, how would you, I'm not like a sideshow, but like something that you do as a part of the total event, not the actual event. Right. It would help mitigate some of that component to where you're not going to have thousands of people rushing the show floor all at the same time, where everybody's got to be manning a booth. But we would be able to leverage the booth in a different, leverage the the trade show, and people could leverage their booths if they choose to, in a completely different way. But we build out the experience kind of separate from the trade show floor, but allow those. Uh, in different ways to experience the show floor. Now, again, that starts getting into the weeds to which what we want the subcommittee to really kind of work through to say, how is this truly going to work? And then logistically on the other end for manufacturers, how is this going to work with you in, in terms of who's going to be able to give cigars? How is that going to work? When are you going to do it? And how is this, et cetera, et cetera. And so I really think that, you know, Skip Martin had some phenomenal insights that I would love to be able to implement and really um, get to a point to where we could do it both registration-wise, technology-wise of using this as a way for retailers and manufacturers to be able to have new and interesting ways of connecting with the consumers that are on the show floor 
to add additional sort of product experiences for them as opposed to us trying to be the ones who are are promulgating it as the as the association right all right so scott this is why i had you on the show because you'll answer the the hardest questions you'll just face them head on i appreciate that especially the attendance question that's not an easy one to tackle and i appreciate your you're facing that head on. So, Scott, this week, let's change the subject. This week, there was some interesting things that happened in the industry. And two of those things we're going to talk about at the, at the end of the show here. One of those things was Nick Jonas ends up on the cover of Cigar Aficionado magazine. Nick Jonas, worldwide superstar, yeah. young kid. And, you know, predictably, predictably, millennials, younger people... Like, you know, like really ragged on him, like, oh, that's that's bad for your health. That's horrible. Why are you doing that? You're smoking cigars. This is terrible. But, Scott, the part that irritated me the most wasn't that at all because that was, to me, expected. The part yeah. that irritated me the most was our own cigar smokers getting on, on Cigar Aficionado's case for having Nick Jonas as a, an ambassador, so to speak, from the cigar industry. And my perspective was well, you guys are nuts like this guy is a this guy yeah. is a worldwide superstar millions hundreds of millions of people follow this kid and he is excited about premium cigars he's really into it it's he's not yeah. just doing it he's not just doing it for like a photo shoot like this guy is really into it he loves cigars he was proud of it he even posted you know I'm pumped to be on the cover and like we got people from our own industry bashing him it just seemed yeah. insane to me. I want your yeah. thoughts. Yeah, I, I had the same reaction. It was kind of funny. We, it wasn't um, hate-filled in our office, but we had a couple of people in our office that were like, he's like, oh, come on, you know, rolled his eyes, Nick Jonas and everything else. And I said, look, Pete Johnson's vouching for the guy. The guy really loves cigars. Right. And what's really interesting to me is that they have had guys on the cover uh, before in feature that they talked about that probably have never smoked a cigar before, right? And and it have even said as such, and so for me, I, it was, I was a little baffled by that as to far as, you know, we we are in a in a in a position nowadays as an industry to where an ally like that, an advocate like that, right. does nothing but help us. Oh yeah. And and, and so what's interesting to me about um, the industry right now is that the culture needs to needs to fix itself. It needs to right itself. And forgive me for a little bit of a sort of a historical parallel here. Um, this is going way back to when Rome was first, you know, going, and, and I'm not a great historian, so if there are people listening that know this better than I. Wow, we're going back you know, to Rome. Please feel free. You're we really, are, you, going, you are going back now at this point. Going back to, to, to Rome <laughs> wanting to conquer the, the British island, right? Okay. And Britain at the time, you had the Picts and the Welsh and, and, and all these different tribes that were all at war with each other. And they were obviously very good at fighting each other, but they also hated each other. And so when Rome arrived, not the first time because the storms and everything else, you crashed all the boats and they ended up turning back once they landed on shore. When they landed on shore, they saw all these kind of frightful people. You think back to the Druids and, and they, would, they, had, they painted themselves in blue and they were pretty you know, fearsome because it was very different than, than what the Romans had experienced. But the second time when they landed, and, and yeah, I just forgot the general's name that, that Caesar sent in order to conquer the island because he wanted it. But, but one of the major players for the, the uh, on the British island was the guy, the, the, a guy by the name of Casamalanus, and he had this Catalane was his tribe, and he was at war with all these different uh, peoples, and they didn't fix their own culture first. If they had banded together, they could have beaten the Romans, right? But when the Romans landed at their shores, you actually had other tribes that that warmed up, 
to the Romans and said, hey, just beat this asshole over here and I'll pledge my loyalty to you guys. Just let me keep my land and kick his ass, essentially. And I kind of feel like, you want to know what, guys? Rome is landing on our shores and we're more interested in right. this bullshit. Sorry to be cursing here. I get your more, point now all of a sudden. We're more interested in fighting these stupid things as opposed to all of us coming together and saying, okay, what is it that unites us? What is it that we really stand for, and, and why can't we all just be united and get the Romans the hell off of our shores and protect ourselves? Uh, the, the, the culture of this industry needs to right itself in that regard. Right. And, like, and, what's, and what, is, what yeah. is wrong with this, you know, 30 something kid who's a mega superstar yeah. that, I mean, who, yeah, that loves, yeah. that absolutely loves small batch premium cigars, hand rolled cigars? And, like, he's catching crap from both sides. Like, it was just mind-boggling to me. Like, I was totally in shock. Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I thought, poor kid. You know, look, he, he turns 27 this month. He had a cigar roller at his wedding. He's been smoking for, for, for years, right? Like a lot of us, right? I mean, and, and, and I don't understand why it matters that it's Nick Jonas. Well, you don't like his persona. You don't – I mean – I don't even know the guy, and I and I honestly don't care. I mean, there's a lot of people that have public personas that I don't, you know, necessarily even care for or the way. But I mean, it, I don't know him, or why you don't even know him to be passing this judgment. But again, going back and going further for me is ultimately, you know what? Anybody that loves this industry that is willing to put himself out there and advocate and put a positive face forward. I mean, good God! Even the View is talking about this. Yeah, and and right. it's a little bit, you know, but you know, by and large, it was pretty positive on the View, saying, you know what, it's an adult product. He's an adult. Why the hell can't you know he smoke a cigar? And you know, he's he's his own man as far as that's concerned. But at a time when we're having a public image issue, where we are fighting like hell, I know for me, after hundreds of of meetings on Capitol Hill with policymakers and people in the FDA and everything else, we had a massive struggle with the public image as far as tobacco is concerned because we lost the narrative 30 years ago when they came in and went after cigarettes and it was a tobacco equals cigarettes equals carcinogens and disease and death and everything else and now you're seeing that played out because the people that were objecting to nick jonas for a health issue were saying oh this causes heart disease i can't believe that you're doing this your lungs and everything else and the reality is is that we know we have the data fda nih there is no difference on the health continuum versus me who smokes this when I do like I do versus somebody who never does it. You know, I don't need any separate insurance you know, policy for any of that stuff. So when we have somebody who can start shedding light on it, we should all be throwing our support behind right. them. We should all be saying, hey, look, this is a great voice for us. This is a great person that can be out in front of this for us. I mean, he could do for this industry as a 27-year-old superstar on the rise what Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jack Nicholson, who's right behind, Sylvester Stallone, and Bruce Willis right. and Demi Moore all did in the 90s. And I don't understand why this industry does not understand. We all need to start uniting in the, ma in, in the broadest sense of the word because the FDA and the government, literally Rome, is, at our, is, is landing on our shores. Right. Brayban, what do you got? Well, it's one of those deals where I look at it where it was so confusing is the industry as a whole, we're not getting younger. Exactly. We, we're not getting younger. We need this industry to continue. We want this industry to continue. So in such, why are we so opposed to someone in their late 20s and early 30s showing such a great support for this industry that we love so much? We, it's so confusing to me. It's, it's absolutely insane, yeah. Scott. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Hey, and, and another thing that's happening just this week is this, this, this crazed... You know, f even from, you know, Donald Trump, uh, op opposition to vaping and 
So, so now, uh, my question to you, Scott, is this it seems like here's I think this is what happened. I think I think Donald Trump like walked into the the White House and his son was probably vaping, and he was like, "Dude, <laughs> you shouldn't be vaping." You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make a national. I'm gonna legalize vaping because you. What's his What's his son's name? Baron. Baron. Yeah, you Baron shouldn't be doing this. Like like if Baron was like like if I'll, I'll bet if Baron had been like doing you know like reading like a Playboy magazine like like oh, that would have been it. We'd be like we're banning. You know like I don't like the idea that like public policy would be made because Donald Trump is annoyed with his son Baron. Now I mean. And not to get into politics, but it just seems like odd that, you know, he comes out and says, I told Barron not to vape, and so now we're going to ban vaping. But this is going to impact the cigar industry, right, Scott? I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's it, not it a good is, thing. No. So vape is kind of the best and worst thing that has happened in the premium cigar industry. And the, the, the best in, in one regard is kind of now is that it gives us it gives us something and it gives us ammunition when we're meeting on Capitol Hill where we say, look, we're premium cigar. Have you ever known as a kid, have you ever a kid smoked these things, right? You've never, no kid has ever had seizures. There's never been any kind of lung disease, whatever else. So in that regard, it's it's kind of easier for us when we say, look, you're lumping us in with this based upon this 2009 gotcha. okay. act, right? I get that. That's a good point. So that is, that is actually pretty good for us in that sense. It's also good because they're focused on this, and this is going to be a legal battle that the vaping industry is going to have to face. And while that's going on, I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot of resources focused on us. And so, but the other part of this is, goes back to my statement I just made. They're still tying it in with tobacco as if to, the tobacco leaf is the problem in all of this. And I, you know, I, I say this a lot when I meet with people and talk about it. You know, the tobacco leaf is no more responsible for causing these seizures or for heart disease than corn is for drunk driving. Because it's, it's, it's just asinine to think that just because they use tobacco in this regard and, and minimally in, you know, in a lot of ways, that it's really for the nicotine, right? Right. There's nicotine and, in a tomato. Well, right. It's, it's part of the nightshades, right? And right. so it's and, – and, and a cousin of, of caffeine as far as that's concerned. And we talked a lot about this at the SBA roundtable yesterday where we were, we were talking about how with, with the tobacco and the way that it's using a premium cigar is, is – it's it's really so much like you would with a grape and and blending for for wines or with beans and roasting them and blending them for coffee and things like that. But the focus is, and this is why it's another issue to where it's both good and bad. But the whole point, and when we talk about this, then the inevitable questions come. But the whole point of cigarettes and the whole point of vaping is to get nicotine into your system as quickly and as easily as possible. And so the additives and the, and the other things that they put in there is what happens. And for us, we say, look, if this was designed to be a nicotine delivery device, it's, it, it's, it's horrible because it doesn't because we have the usage patterns. And if I'm smoking 1.7 of these a month or 1.7 days out of every month as the average user does – then clearly it's not working because if nicotine is as addictive as everybody and all the reports of everybody else says it is, I'm surely smoking a hell of a lot more than just one or two of these a month. If I have one or two drinks a month, I'm certainly not an alcoholic. Right. Right. And if I have one or two burgers a month, I'm certainly not going to be, you know, obese and, and, and be in great danger of, of heart disease as opposed to if I'm sucking them down like, you know, fat kid cookies four in a day. <laughs> right. And so, so, 
so so it's really interesting because it gives us a good juxtaposition as far as what our narrative is. The bad part is is that it requires us to do additional education for what tobacco is, what tobacco is not, and what a premium cigar is and that it, and what it is not. And so the, the interesting thing about the perceptions of Trump is Trump does not smoke and Trump does not drink. So Trump has never really been – now, his deregulation environment – yeah, that, that is a positive, I, I think, you know, and, and it could have been a, a positive for, for for us as far as the regu- regulatory landscape is concerned. But the problem is, is that this has never been an issue Trump has cared about other than kind of what you were just talking about earlier of we want to regulate this industry more. And unfortunately, because of that tack, it ends up us, and I've used this term before, maybe it upsets people, but we're kind of the dolphin caught in the tuna net then. And so it's really been an interesting challenge for us to where, you know, politics makes strange bedfellows. And in a lot of ways, you know, people like uh, Congresswoman Castor, who's a Democrat who represents Tampa and Ybor City and everything, is one of our more powerful allies that we have. And so it's it's really kind of an interesting political landscape right now that we're trying to wade through. Right. And and so the the vaping thing is really – it's it's unfortunate, but there might be ways to where we can leverage it to help ourselves. Right. Well, <laughs> so, sorry, Jody. It was just yeah. <laughs> off the cuff. But that was I, that I was not personal, Jody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I I, I got to say, uh, it's been a great show. Thank you so much, Scott, for taking the time on a Friday night and and answering the hard questions. You know, right, just right at you there, and you did a good job of uh, of you know addressing that it'll be interesting to see where we go with the show where cigars go in the next year i'm trying to imagine ourselves you know two years from now uh we'll be doing cigar con i hope so because i've been a proponent of it i was i was publicly saying all along that i think this is the way to go it seems like um it seems like the typical regular trade show is a bit antiquated and that it needs to get a shot in the arm in some way and so i i was disappointed Scott, I'm going to be honest with you. I was disappointed when I heard that the 2021 was canceled. Um, but I want you to get it right. You know I mean, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be there one way or the other. You know, I mean, we're, I, I, I consider the dojo is just we, we just like cigars. I mean, we just yeah. love cigars. We love tobacco. We love cigars. And so, if you guys do the consumer day, we're going to be there with bells on. You know, having a great time. If you guys don't do it, then. You know, we'll be there with bells on still, you know, uh, having a great time. So I just appreciate you taking the time on this Friday night uh, to be with us. No, thank you very much for having me. And, um, you know, one of the things that um, I, I really do enjoy, and I think that, that um, we as an organization really want to do and do better is is enhancing the relationship with the cigar media, with and, and particularly with, with you all that do such a great job, because it, it, it really, it, like I just, we were just talking about, is, we really need to get better at, at, at coming together. And for you all that have been such great voices and great advocates for the industry, it just makes a whole lot more sense for us to be kind of more involved in and, and leveraging you even at the trade show for ways in which we can make it more exciting as well for, for both manufacturers as well as the, the cigar industry, the cigar consumer as a whole. Um, I, I too was disappointed. And I think that by and large, the, 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 the cigar consumer that really wants to come to whatever it is that we put on, are those that are that are just they're hungry for the information. They really want to know and really appreciate the artistry behind the premium cigars and 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 really want to be involved with it. And I think that if we can design it in such a way that that's the platform that we're really looking to give 
then I think that that we can get to the point to where it really will be everything that everybody wants it to be. Um, you know, that's it, it might be a more difficult challenge, and so therefore we do need that extra year. Uh, but I do think that it would be really good for the industry uh, to be able to do that to to, to really get that third leg of that tripod, which is the consumer, really involved with us at this point. So folks want to know what you're smoking and drinking. Uh, okay, so this is the uh, signature series from Christoph. Jared Trudeau gave this to me at the trade show. So this is his first one. Um, and I told him, I said, I will smoke it, even though it's got the little JT design like the, the Boston Red Sox, because uh, <laughs> I, I am not a Red Sox fan. He's a Boston guy. So, um, so thank you, Jared, for this. I thoroughly enjoyed this. This is my second one. I really, really do like this one. Um, I'm nowhere near as, as articulate when it comes to my palate and everything else, but I, I do kind of know what I like. I like the more savory cigars, and this is a good medium-bodied one, and I really like it. Um, because I'm actually at my friend's um, uh, cigar lounge that he's letting me use for this tonight, so I could, in fact, have, enjoy a cigar with you. I'm not drinking any alcohol tonight. I'm drinking um, uh, a, a craft root beer. Yeah, uh, somebody, somebody was right about that. Somebody yeah, that. Cane, sugar, cane sugar root beer. Since I'm going to have to get my car and drive immediately after this, I decided <laughs> to, to, to not do with the alcohol tonight, so that's what I's drinking right now. All right, there we go, folks. There's Scott Pierce, the executive director of the Premium Cigar Association. Chris Flood, you were right. It was a... Uh, it was a rip beer of some sort. Now, Scott, don't go away. I want to talk to you after the show. But, um, folks, uh, last thing. We had the happy hour contest last night. Uh, tons of entries. It was a great time. Uh, this is one of the contests that I pick um, random winner. And so the winner of the contest yes- from yesterday was Gut Pile. Uh, congratulations, Gut Pile 388D. He says, I'm at work, but it's still happy hour. He's one of those lucky guys that gets to... Uh, smoke while he's at work i want to thank scott braband for being my um fill-in assistant tonight thank you scott you are very welcome i I, where i can i don't know how i could have done it without you guys i want to thank the studio audience anthony and dominic appreciate you guys being on the show guys it's the typical friday night on the dojo that means you share what you're smoking share what you're drinking and especially your hashtag now playing let's hear what you're listening to as you're smoking i love seeing the album covers that you guys post it's the best next week on the show It'll be Matt Booth. We'll be talking about the noodles. But guys, don't forget, on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, that's our Flavor Odyssey. And this this week's episode is brought to you by the letter C. So they will be pairing a cigar that has a C in it and a beer that has a C in it. Randy Griggs, Robbie Rasmussen. Make sure to tune in at 6 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday. That show is a ton of fun. We're just getting started, and already, man, it's getting a really good following. We're having a lot of fun doing it, and I can't wait to see what the guys have for you for the letter C. So that's going to be exciting. So tune in Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern on our Dojo Facebook page, and that'll be a ton of fun. And then next Friday night, Friday, actually, Friday, you'll be able to get the noodles. You'll be able to order the noodles um, on JR Cigar. We'll, we'll email that link out Friday at noon Show Eastern Time. That beautiful coin one so, more So, yeah, time. beautiful coin one last time. Oh, look at this bad boy. Everybody who orders gets this gorgeous challenge coin. You know what? I can't do it justice, Scott. I can't do it justice. You have to see it in person how gorgeous this thing is. But anyways, you'll get that. Every bundle you order gets a coin. You order three bundles, you get three coins. Simple as that. 
so make sure that you uh, pay attention to the dojo and catch your. Make sure you're part of our email list so that you can, you can get a, be a part of that. That'll be a ton of fun on Friday. And then we'll have Matt Booth Friday night. So until next week, remember, never, never smoke, smoke alone. alone. We'll see you guys this week. Here at JR, our social media platforms offer our customers an in-depth look into the world of cigars. Our YouTube channel is one of the biggest in the industry with hundreds of cigar reviews, exclusive interviews, event coverage, and much more. On Instagram, we aim to showcase our massive inventory with unique pictures, engaging Instagram lives, and contest giveaways. Our Facebook page is the hub for all social media content. We have everything from video reviews to pairing blogs and our amazing daily deals. Subscribe and like our social media pages to be a part of the JR Cigar experience.